Um, before we start, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do ask for your anointing and for your help and that my thoughts and my heart would be you and my words would only be you. I ask that we would leave here looking more like you and having experienced you. In Jesus' name, and like Canaan prayed for me this morning, um, have fun and your presence would be here. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, today's sermon is a little bit different than what I'm used to. Um, I'm used to sitting in one passage for a long time and, and bringing that. Um, we will be in the Word, but it, this particular sermon came together while uh, an intimate time with the Lord. Um, a few months ago, I had thought that the Lord told me, I want you to make a list of things about yourself that are good that you like. Nothing's too small, nothing's too big. I think he could tell I just needed a little pick-me-up, right? Because I can be critical of myself, and maybe nobody else has an issue with that. So I, I wrote down a list, and he, and he said, it, I, I felt like he said it needed to be at least 30 things, right? So at the top of the list, I wrote my eyes. And I like my eyes. You can't gain weight in your eyes. You don't lose weight in your eyes, right? Your eyes are, uh, uh, they're blue. Everybody in my family has blue eyes. I, I just like my eyes. And so that was actually the first thing. And I don't know if it was the Lord or not, but I heard him say, or I think the thought came to mind, I like your eyes too. And then I had this awkward conversation where I'm like, well, I like your eyes, right? But then all of a sudden I began to think on the eyes of the Lord, and even Jesus, his eyes, how that says uh, in, in the New Testament, we, his eyes are like fire. Um, in Revelations, it talks about that. And I'm like, how can his eyes be like fire, but you're not afraid of him, right? And that push and pull. And then I saw the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, around the Easter time. And I noticed, I'd never noticed this before, the director, I'm sure it was on purpose, his eyes are kind of a reddish orange, in that, in that movie the whole time. I had never noticed it. And I was like, oh, that is so cool. I don't know if they did it on purpose, but. So then I thought um, it would be really fun to sit in the scripture, the, the scripture, and every time the Lord sees something, to write it down. Now I could go to Google and get a list, but I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to do that. So I started in Genesis and it got so overwhelming I was like, can I please just do the Gospels and Jesus? Because as you know, the Lord's omniscient and he sees everything. <laughs> and so when you start to do this particular project, it got uh, pretty big pretty quick. So then I was sitting in the Gospels and I wrote down every time Jesus sees something or looks to something. And what did he see and what is he looking at? Because we're supposed to have his eyes. So is there going to be reoccurring themes? Is there going to be uh, any kind of pattern? What is his focus? And I was, uh, I was like a kid in a candy shop doing this connecting with the Lord in this way. And guess what? There are patterns and there are reoccurring themes and there is a focus. But there's 50 plus passages in the gospel where Jesus sees something. So I was like, whoa. 
we're in a staff meeting and I'm, we're praying about seeing like God sees and all of a sudden this outline of a sermon just kind of comes out of my mouth and then Brock's like, you should preach that and here I am. So we're going to move quick and I'm going to do my best um, to, to make it so that when you leave here, you're going to want to put on his glasses. And you're also going to have a better understanding of how when he looks at you, what he sees, what he's looking at. So if we could put up the first slide. These are, the first five are actually the categories that I divided it up in. That there are five really things that, that are dropped out when you, when you, when you scour the word for this. And the very first thing, Jesus sees people. So I'm going to tell a story. My son Jonathan, when he was young, maybe Rock Kilman's age, maybe a little younger, um, he played baseball. And I come from a family of athletes. My dad was a great athlete. And I noticed when I was playing baseball with Jonathan, he didn't always move his glove to the direction of the ball. So it went from throwing to lobbing to, you know what, he's just not an athlete. That's all. And he's got other great qualities. And so, um, but then when he started school, the teachers, like, he, he can't see the board. So we went to the eye doctor. And, and uh, the eye doctor said it's, he has a, his prescription was really severe. And he said, so when he's playing on the t-ball field, not only can he not see the ball, he might not be able to see the batter. What? He can't see the people? He can't see the people? Like he's on the field and can't see the people? Here's what I want you to know. Jesus always sees the people. And when you have his glasses on, in the world, in, in, as you're going about your day, if you have his glasses on, you're going to see the people. There's only two passages out of all of them where it's not people. The two passages are one of them where it's about a fig tree, and, he sees the, and it says he sees the fig tree, but then he uses that as an object lesson to teach his disciples with the people. And then there's one other time where he sees Satan uh, he, the 72 returned rejoicing from all the miracles that they saw. And Jesus is with them. And he, and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He's just exhorting them and encouraging them and building them up. So even those two things are about the people. So this first one that Jesus sees the people, not only does he see the people, he sees the good he speaks it out and he calls them to himself. So when he's looking at you, his eyes are very distinct. He sees the good, he's calling it out, and he's calling you to himself. So if you put up the second slide. Okay, so I just gave you a snapshot of some of the passages in this particular category. And if it's in green, it's an outlier, which means there's a bunch of them. 
and it's like, pay attention. This, this particular situation happens a lot. Pay attention. If it's in blue, it's my favorite color. And so it's my favorite passage of all of them when I, when I did prep. And then if it's yellow, which the yellow one for this particular one, the list was so long, it's at the bottom of the list. Um, and we're going to use, we're actually going to be in that passage. But before we get into that, that particular passage, the green one, the disciples. When he calls the disciples to himself, he sees them. It says he sees them. And then he calls out the good in them. My favorite one is the Nathaniel one um, because he says to Nathaniel, uh, you, you are a man with integrity, a man, in some places it says, a man who has no guile. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know this about me? And he says, before Philip brought you to me, I saw you. I saw you under the tree. And then Nathaniel's response is, surely you're the son of God. When our Jesus sees us, and actually when we recognize that he sees us, right now when you're thinking, oh, he doesn't see me, he sees you. And when that gets into your heart, you are turned to him. And so let that get into your heart. He sees you. So uh, my favorite passage, this blue one, uh, Jesus calls, we all know that Simon, he changes his name to Peter, right? Do you realize that that happens at the beginning of the relationship? He's calling out Simon as the rock at the beginning before anything good happens. He knows that he's going to deny him. He knows that he's going to slice off somebody's ear. He knows that uh, he's, going to, he's a kind of a temper hot mess. But when he sees Simon, he calls him Peter. And so when we have on the eyes of the Lord, we see people as image bearers of God. And he wants us to call out the good. And so I, that is one thing that um, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I love, I love to see and call out the good in people. And I feel like it's because it was given and done for me. And so I'm giving away what was given to me. Uh, I'm one of nine children, and my, my um, parents, I don't... I, I was a mess. I think I was probably the hardest. I was the biggest strong-willed. Um, but I never felt, I felt loved and seen, and they would call out the good. So remember, put on your eyes that are the eyes of Jesus. And in that place, you'll see people as he sees them. So the passage that I'm going to just, that I'm going to read for us all to see is it's the one on children did it probably it might not have made the slide is there another slide for this there we go mark 10 13 14 so if you can if you open up your bible to that in this passage you're going to see all three you're going to see that jesus sees the children jesus calls out the good in the children and jesus calls him to himself and that's true of all of these other passages that were above it the yellow represents the one I'm using. So it best illustrates it. It best illustrates the point. So uh, Mark 10, 13, 14. And they were bringing Jesus to him so that uh, he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. An easy application for me as a children's pastor, I'm always trying to let us see and know that our children are kingdom bringers. And that can be hard and to remember because they're, you know, they don't look like us and sometimes it's chaotic and sometimes um, their strong willedness can, can feel different. But they are kingdom bringers. Our children are kingdom bringers. And so as much as you can call that in, out in them, is Henry Jarek over there? He's in quest. Every time I see Henry... He's a kingdom bringer. I see and experience something of the Lord in his eyes. And every time I see him, I just want to call it out in him. I see the Lord in you, Henry. I see the kingdom of God in you. Now, I get that I'm not his mama, so I don't live with him. So maybe, you know, it's easier for those that are not in that close proximity. But I want to encourage you those that are in your closest proximity, to see them as the Lord sees them. And if you start to put on goggles that see them with negativity or you find yourself starting to speak the negative things, um, ask the Lord to change your, your glasses and to put on his glasses so you can see the people and see them as he sees them. It will guard your tongue. And we need our tongues guarded. It's the rudder of the ship. So, okay. So that brings us to the second pattern that I saw, is not only does Jesus see the people, he sees the people that are in need. Over and over and over again, Jesus sees people who are in need, and almost always it's related to healing and resurrection, but it's not always. And so um, somebody who does this really well is Brian Blount. When he, wherever he is, he is, he is seeing, I believe, with the Lord's eyes. Um, because whoever's in front of him, if there's a need, he seeks to bring the kingdom to that place. And sometimes that's love. Sometimes that's prayer. Sometimes that's a gift. And that doesn't mean that we are, we are supposed to meet all the needs. But what I am saying is that the Lord pays attention to who's in front of him over and over and over again, and he sees them. I, the, as I was prepping for this sermon, I've re recently taken a, wall, a rock wall climbing. I'm still not very good at it, but trying to connect with the 12-year-old, and he wanted to do it. So, And I'm a seven. I like a little adventure. So I, I took that up. We're at the rock wall climbing place. Um, it's a, there's hardly anybody there. It's a good place to social distance and exercise all at the same time. And a woman sat down in a chair. There's lots of chairs, by the way, lots of chairs. And she sits down in a chair right across from us. Me, it's me, Rich, and my 12-year-old. Uh, and, um, and then she begins to talk. And I'll be honest, I love, I, I'm, extra, I'm an extrovert, I like to be with people, and I'm even too chatty, but I was a little annoyed because I was exhausted, and I, I just, I wanted to be in, with 
I, I don't know, I just didn't want to be with her. And immediately, the Lord's like, um, put on my glasses, because I see her, and she's who's in front of you. Not only do I need you to see her, I need you to see her as I see her, created in the image of God. And I want relationship with her, and I want you to love her. So then, she starts talking about how she has a shoulder injury from climbing so much, and um, and so then I'll think of Brian Blount, and I'd already decided I was going to talk about Brian Blount. Well, then there's a risk. I pray for her healing. She might think I'm weird, right? But it's like, are we doing this thing or not? Are we, do I belong to Jesus or not? Right? And I'm not responsible for her healing, but I am responsible to see her and to love her. That's it, right? So, so I said, I know this is going to sound weird. Actually, first on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad does it hurt? And she shared, and I said, I said, can I pray for you? I said, you know, I've only prayed for a couple of people who have been healed. I'm already minimizing and dismissing the, you know, I'm already like, just in case this doesn't happen. Um, so feeling, but trying to love her, trying to be obedient and see, and then in my internals, like, Lord, let me see her as you see her. Let me see her as you see her. And then she said, sure, I'm not a, she, she didn't say believer. She goes, I'm not a religious person, but it, I'll take your good thoughts or your good words. And I was like, okay. So I prayed for her shoulder, you know, and, try, and tried to be present and to love her. She's not a project. She wasn't a project. The, the Lord's like, she's not your project. She's somebody I love, and I want her to experience my love through you, and you be present for her. Because that's what Jesus did, does in these passages over and over and over again. Um, so the passage that uh, I am going to use is the one, let's see, there it is. The man who was paralyzed 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. So if you'll open up your Bibles to John 5, 5 and 9. Here we see that Jesus sees the person who's in front of him and, how, and his response to that. John 5, 5 and 9. A man was there who had been ill. He was at a, he was at a pool. There was a healing pool. And when the waters got stirred, whoever got in first, there would be a healing that took place. He had been there 38 years. A man had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had been there a long time in that condition, and he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. There's all kinds of sermons and commentary that go all kinds of ways right there. One of the things that I think is true about this man is that he didn't get into the water uh, because he had been there, he blended into the surroundings and he wasn't seen. He had been there so long, he was no longer seen. Now there's all kinds of other things there that are probably true. But I felt like as I was preparing, the Lord was saying to me, there are people here who feel forgotten. 
and they don't feel seen. They've been in a situation so long that they, that they almost become their surroundings. And the Lord wants to say to you, He sees you. Not only does He see you, He wants to be with you. And if that is year 35 of the 38, but sometimes it's year 38. And the Lord comes with his presence in a way that brings healing. I, I had an autoimmune disease for about five years. It was very painful. My body was filled with tumors. It was an inflammation and tumor disease. And it was, my lungs were filled with tumors and um, other organs periodically inflamed. It's a, it's a weird disease. And um, if you have it longer than two years, they usually say you have it for life. And then eventually you die of lung complications. But that's eventually, you know, like you can live a good life with it. It's just a painful life. Or a life on chemo or prednisone. So I've been on a low-dose chemo for two years. That's why my hair is short, because I got a sassy little haircut in the middle of that. And I liked it and never went back. So, so, but it was, it was a lot for me, it wasn't 38 years, but, you know, about year two, it was a long time to be um, tired and in pain. And I, one thing that, the God, that God gave me was I never felt forgotten about. John Mode came to me about year four and said, I pray for you. Was it every day? He's like set an alarm or something. I can't even remember to pray for me. We are to be that for each other. The eyes of the Lord who don't forget. Uh, the Millers right now have got a, a, um, a son-in-law or almost son-in-law in the, in the hospital. And he's been in ICU for... 12 days, 14 days, 16 days. That feels like 38 years. And I don't know if we're on year 37 or year 38, but we need to see him. He's in our midst and pray for him and bring the kingdom of the Lord. Those, the eyes of the Lord sees who is in our midst that is in need and brings the kingdom. And at minimum, that is presence and love. So my favorite passage from this particular category is uh, John 19, 26. And this is when Jesus is on the cross. He's on the cross. He's dying for the sins of the world. And it says he looks down and he sees his mom and he sees the John the disciple. And he says to his mom and he says to John, he says, mom, or he says, John, this is your mom. Mom, this is your son. Like, you guys are family. And he, what he's doing is he's meeting a need of family. He's meeting a need of family for, for at least his mom, but also probably for John. And one of, the, one of the insights that I love about, this came from Ken Geyer, this insight. Um, so it's not my own, but I, this is why I love, this is maybe one of my top three passages in the whole Bible that I love is that when um, Jesus chooses John, first of all, John's the only one 
who saw Jesus die on the cross. The, re the rest of them fled. I, no condemnation to them, but the rest fled. John was the only one who saw Jesus on the cross. John saw the greatest sermon on love in real life. No greater love is any man than he that would lay down his life for a friend. John saw Jesus die on the cross. And guess what? When we see one another die for one another, give up our lives for one another, those that experience that are better fit to take care of the family of God. He's asking John to take care of his mama, I think, because John was the most fit. And why was John the most fit? Because John knew the love of Jesus better than anyone. When we know the love of Jesus, it makes us fit to care for one another as family. So that's, that's, not, that's like a whole other sermon. That's not even, but I just love that passage. And so that particular insight is my favorite. Um, and I, even I hear the Lord right now. There's some of you here that fa maybe bio family is not an option. Or, or you're, the Lord is, has blessed you with a single life and to follow him with the kind of devotion where you don't have, uh, where, the, where the traditional family is not, is not what's in front of you. The Lord is calling us to be family to each other and he sees our need for family. And he wants us to be family to each other. That is part of the eyes of God, is seeing where and how to be family to each other in, really mean, in, in ways that are not trite, in ways that really matter, in ways that stick it out, in ways that, anyway, that's a whole, that, well, I digress. Okay, so let's go to the next um, thing that Jesus sees. So he sees our need. But then we can also know that when he sees our need, he sees with compassion. They actually, the word compassion is used in these passages, and that's why uh, that's, that's a pattern. He doesn't just see, he sees with compassion. Then I chose two particular stories that aren't necessarily um, Jesus, but they're Jesus telling the story with parallels to us and our relationship with one another or our relationship with him. So it's worth, I think that the parallel fits here. And my favorite one and my favorite insight comes from the prodigal son. But I do want you to notice when he sees a crowd, he has compassion on them. My instinct sometimes is to be overwhelmed. Uh, went on a mission trip uh, to Columbia one time and we were ministering to a group of people who had uh, seen a lot of trauma. And I'm a trauma therapist, I do a lot, I'm a therapist and I do a lot of trauma work. And so uh, trauma doesn't necessarily, it doesn't scare me, um, but if I'm, if I see too much of it, I myself got to get a little, got to get some care, right? So I'm in this room and, and there's 30 girls and they all have the kind of trauma that's from night, like your worst nightmare. And I was getting overwhelmed with the crowd. It was hard to even have compassion because all I could feel was my own inadequacy to meet the need. So I said to the Lord, you got to help me here. You got to help me see where you want, help me see what you're doing and to join in with you with your compassion. 
Like, I can't meet all of the needs. I can't do all of the things. Just let me see where I'm supposed to participate with you. And it was really helpful. And when he saw the crowd, there was specific things. Sometimes he fed them. Sometimes he taught them. Sometimes he healed their sick. Sometimes he did all of those things. Um, but my favorite one, and the one I'm going to use, is from the prodigal son. Luke 15, 19 through 24. So we all know the story of the prodigal son, right? He leaves. Uh, he, he wants his inheritance, and he leaves, and then he reaches the bottom. And, and this, this, I'm going to read from starting there. The prodigal son says, I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion to him and ran and embraced him. I want us, here's what I want us to see. He's going to the father as a hired hand. He's not even going to the father as a son. He's going in shame. He's going to go earn his place. And that is so applicable to all of us. You might not be in your mire, or maybe you're years away from your mire, although the longer I'm with the Lord, the longer I see that my mire is bigger and present. Uh, because the closer I get to him, the more I realize I'm not like him. And sometimes I want to go to him in shame or try to do some good things to earn my way into, into his good grace. And he sees us in that place, and he runs to us. And he doesn't run to us as hired help. He doesn't run to us with the ruler to smack us about our shame. He runs to us as sons and daughters. He sees you, and he's running to you as sons and daughters. The eyes of the Lord sees us as sons and daughters. And so when you start trying to earn your way into his presence, or heaped with shame, and just going to go, maybe he'll just take you as a side, put on the eyes of the Lord. Because what he sees is somebody he wants to run to. Lord, do that for me. Um, okay, so next slide. Jesus looks to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So we see that Jesus, he sees people, and he sees God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Those are the two things he's looking at. And we know that he's looking at God the Father a lot because in the passage in John 5, 19, it says, uh, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of God, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in in like manner. So Jesus' eyes are on God the Father all the time. 
So, so we've got these two, these two charges from these patterns. We've got to see each other, but we've also got to see God. Now, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells inside of us. Um, I'm going to tell a story. So I've had the benefit of traveling to three different nations with Chris Hurst. If you're ever going to travel, go with her. One of the, I've been to Thailand with her, I've been to Israel with her, and I've uh, been to London, England with her. Here's the thing about Chris Hurst. So, Chris used to be a um, firefighter. So, and one of these trips was in the middle of the worst of the sarcoidosis. It was in the worst of it, and I, I was like, I probably shouldn't even go on the trip. I'm not, I, I would go a day and then have to rest two days and I thought, you know what? If I die in an airport, Chris will put me on her shoulder and get me home, right? Chris is who you want. And not, and not only is she going to take care of me, she's type A. Now, I'm a 7, so I love adventure, but I'm a type B. So I go to the place, but then I got nothing planned. So I'm your worst nightmare. I will drag you to New York City, and then we will eat at Sobrero Pizza Place because I got nothing planned when I can have that same pizza in Shawnee, Oklahoma, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good combo. So, but Chris is type A. So you get to go on an adventure with her, and she makes sure you see what you have to see. And she's a world traveler, so she's probably already been there before and knows all the things. So we're in London, and I say, I want to see Big Ben, and I want to see one of those double-decker buses, and I want to ride in it. That was my list. That is a lame list, but that was my list, right? And Chris is like, well, I can make that happen. I can make that happen, but there's a few other things that should be on your list <laughs> for you to see what you need to see, right? So... We, we rode on the train, and it was great. I didn't have to pay attention. Everything she did, I did. I just followed her. I just followed her. Without her, I wouldn't have made it off the train, and I wouldn't have seen Westminster. I wouldn't have seen Hyde Park. We sat in Hyde Park on one of the benches, and we, we eavesdropped on a conversation, and I heard somebody use the word posh, and they weren't talking about one of the Spice Girls. Right? I was like, and their, and their accent was so fancy. And then we, um, then we went to um, the castle. Oh, my goodness, my type B is, what's the castle called? Where the, where the prince, all the famous people? Buckingham Palace, thank you. So then we went to Buckingham Palace, and then we went to a pub, a, you know, like a real pub, not like a touristy pub, but a real pub, and I, and I ordered shepherd's pie. Because that's what you do when you're in England in the spirit of it all, right? Chris Hurst was the best guide. And I got to see everything that you should possibly see and experience everything I was, could possibly experience because she was my leader. Spiritually, it's the same with the Holy Spirit. We have got to be mindful of asking him to lead us and following him to see what we're supposed to see to participate in ways we're supposed to participate and experience the things he calls us to experience all right so I, and that has to be the jesus jesus says i'll only do what i see the father doing 
Do you know how much I do that I don't see the Father doing? When Netflix pops up and says, are you sure you want to keep watching? <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> Sorry, that was not in my notes. <laughs> but right now, I mean, come on. I'm like, God, come on, just one more. <laughs> anyway, I'm not saying anything bad about watching Netflix. I'm just saying if our eyes, if we're focusing on letting the Holy Spirit be our guide and follow him, it will be what it's supposed to be. And our example of that is Jesus. My, uh, the outlier to this, I love this passage. It says, um, this is the feeding of the 5,000. And why this is, this is the only thing that is in all four Gospels. See the one in green? And it says that Jesus looks to heaven and he blesses the food before he feeds the 5,000. I like this passage because... Well, first of all, it's in all four Gospels. But there's a lesson here for me. When the Lord gives me something, I'm usually looking at it with eyes of inadequacy. How it's not good enough, how the ways it needs to be fixed, the ways that it, it needs more. And that's not the example of Jesus. Jesus was given, was it five loaves and two fish? And he takes that and he gives thanks for it and he looks to heaven and then he blesses it. And I think when the Lord provides for us, not just food, but family or his compassion or uh, something of his kingdom or, you know, um, his body, the people of God, then instead of seeing the inadequacy in us, because that can happen pretty easily, that we look to heaven and we bless it. Because it is adequate to do what the Lord is going to do with it. We are adequate to do what the Lord is going to do with us. And so that is a perspective that our Jesus gives us in the feeding of the 5,000. And I think he really wants us to know that because he says it four times. Um, or it's in all the Gospels. Next slide. Man, I'm trying to hustle. I'm trying to preach 50 plus passages in 40 or 30 minutes, right? This, I'm not going to look at, uh, I just like it. Jesus connects when he is teaching. One of those particular passages, when he's teaching to the disciples, he says, it says he looked intently at them. Can you imagine being in a small group where Jesus is the teacher and him looking at you to make a point? Ooh, right? That feels great. That feels great. Well, what I want you to know is Jesus, it, um, he wants to be your rabbi now. And he does it with intimacy. So the thing, um, a long time ago, I feel like I was supposed to tell the story. A long time ago, um, I asked the Lord to refine me and to be my refiner. Well, then, man, that turns up the heat, and that got ugly. And, um, but good, but good. The Lord did refine me, and I experienced some freedom and some help, and, and it was hard and hot. <laughs> it was not awesome. Fruit, awesome. Experience, tough. Then I get to another season in my life, and I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to ask me to be your rabbi. 
Oh, and that feels kind of impersonal. What I've learned is him being your rabbi is not impersonal. When I was in, uh, doing some of my undergrad work, one of the leadership classes I took, they said, when you're teaching to a group, the first thing you need to know is know your audience. You need to know your audience like nobody else knows your audience because then when you teach or then when you speak or then when you lead, you're leading from a place of both relationship but also knowing them, right? Nobody knows you more than sweet Jesus. So him as your rabbi is a way to connect with him. Even this exercise of these passages was him taking me on a rabbi, me as a student, him as my rabbi journey. It was so intimate and so good, and it involves study. And so take, when you think of studying the word or being the word, uh, Ken Geyer talks about how when you're in the word of God, it's not just to know facts or to gather facts or gather information, but rather it's to have an experience and to know its author. And so when we're in the word of God, there's an intimacy there. It's not just to gather information and to know what to do, but rather to engage the living God who who wrote, who, who is the author of it. But in turn, he'll guide you in a way because he knows you. He knows you the best. And so he knows how to get a hook in you. He knew that if I wrote that list that I would say I like my eyes and then he would take me on a journey of his eyes. He knew it. And it's been a sweet journey. Okay, I'm getting there, Brock. Don't sweat. <laughs> I'm sweating a little bit. So... <clears throat> Uh, which leads us to the last thing I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about. The eyes of Jesus are not the eyes of the Pharisee. So after I did this whole thing with Jesus, I thought, you know, what what is the Pharisee looking at? Because I don't want to put on those glasses, and if I've got those glasses on, I want to take them off. So when I was a kid, there was a rope swing that was right down the street from our house. And I'm pretty sure it was further than I was allowed to go, but I went anyway. And me and, um, and it was a, I lived in West Virginia, so there's real hills and mountains. And there was a rope swing that when you went out, like you went out and came back. And I loved it. I loved this rope swing. Fast forward, sixth grade, I'm a flag patrol. Oh, you see where this is going, right? I'm a flag patrol, which means I'm in charge of take, putting up and taking down the flag but here's what is so cool. When I see that flagpole and that rope that is up on a hill, I see adventure. I see fun. I see how the rope is thick and it comes at a curve and you can just get your foot right up in it, right? And that's what I see. Now, the principal didn't see it the same way. There's, there's two ways to see the same thing. <laughs> there's two very different ways. He saw it as chaotic and dangerous and poor rope maintenance and possibly, you know, an influence on other rope, um, people swinging on the rope. And so, so uh, that was my first experience in the principal's office. Rock, don't swing on the rope that's connected to the flagpole. You might end up in the, you know, he knows. You might end up in the principal's office. The point is, there's two ways to see the exact same thing. And the Pharisees, what they see, they don't see the good. They're accusatory. They don't see 
the Lord running to you or wanting to connect with you. They see all the reasons you shouldn't connect with the Lord or all the reasons why you can't connect. They also, they don't see, oh, I can bring the kingdom of God in this place. They see all the reasons why that is invalid to bring the kingdom of God in that place. And so, if you're in a place and you start to see people in ways that are judgment and uh, that minimize or discount their relationship with the Lord, um, or you're watching to accuse them of the thing that you think that they are or do, which really might be true, but the Lord love assumes the best. And so Jesus doesn't do that. And you see, with um, Zacchaeus and the sinful woman, those were actually passages where Jesus saw those people and he saw them in a way that he called them to himself. But the Pharisees saw that situation and they were like, nope, you shouldn't have been with him. And that's for us personally. If you start to think of all the reasons why you can't be with the Lord, that's not our sweet Jesus. He's wanting to be with you and to engage you. And you're seeing the situation not as he sees it. And even the watching to accuse and discount kingdom work, I think I, I feel a little convicted of this because sometimes the kingdom and other people cannot look as orderly as I would like it to look. And so I'm looking to discount why it's not valid because maybe it was a little more noisier. Maybe it read this way or maybe they worshipped that way or maybe maybe it's a liturgical place and they're too they're, they're, in my opinion they do this or they do that or and I start to discount what the Lord is doing in the hearts and in their midst based upon this external thing and guess what that's the eye of the Pharisee that is not the eyes of the Lord Thank you, Floyd. Um, so that, I'm going to close with this story. We're, we're at the closing place, and then I'm going to bless. I want to I speak a blessing over us. Um, I'm like, maybe I'm not supposed to tell this last story because all of a sudden it just floated right out of my head. So, yep, I just remembered. Okay. So John McFarland, some of you may or may not know him, he's with the Lord now. He, um, he walked intimately with the Lord, and, and he had a part of his, the way the Lord brought the kingdom through him is when he prayed for people, the Lord would bring healing, um, deliverance, freedom, uh, in really powerful ways. And I experienced him praying for me and experienced some freedom that was, that was really, really special. Um, and after I experienced him praying for me, I, my father was the pastor here. And so I got, I, I got to have a conversation with John. And I, I said, I've got some questions about freedom and deliverance. And can I get some time? Can my, me and my husband get some time with you? And he said, yes. And we lived in this little tiny apartment off Rockwell. And he came to our little tiny apartment. And I got a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And we sat in the living room. And I asked him, I said, when it comes to praying for people and, and being with people and then receiving freedom, 
Because that's what I had experienced. I said, what is the most important thing? What's the most important thing? And he said, love. And then he told me, he said, there was one time I was at a church and there was a woman there who came forward for prayer and I prayed for her fervently, but nothing happened. And he said, it was a conference and she came back the next night and I prayed again with more fervor and again, nothing happened. He said, so I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what, what am I missing? What's happening? Why is, why is your, you know, I'm praying for deliverance. I'm praying for her to get freedom and, it's, and nothing's happening. And he says, you don't see her as I see her. He said, you just want her to get freedom so she's gone. He said, I love her. But all he could see was she was impoverished and, there was, and she smelled some and there was some things that were not physically attractive. And he, and he was not seeing her as the Lord saw her, which was the Lord saw her and loved her and wanted to bring his kingdom to her and wanted to be in relationship with her. But John said, I didn't see her that way at all. And he said, and I had to repent. Lord, forgive me. Give me your eyes for her. And he said, the Lord did. He filled me up with love for her. And the next night when she came forward to get prayer, she experienced the love of Jesus. And that brought her freedom. And that is what the Lord wants for us. He wants us for us to experience his love, but he wants us to give that away. And we cannot do that without his eyes. So every morning, in Jesus' name, I bless us, OLCC and our families. I bless us with the eyes of the Lord. I bless us to see ourselves as the Lord sees us, to see our families as the Lord sees us, to see the world as we go out as the Lord sees, that we would see who God puts in our midst and that the Lord would bring his kingdom through us and that his kingdom would be brought to us. In Jesus' name, amen.